Hello and welcome to another in a never-ending stream of episodes of your favorite podcast, the See For Yourself podcast, the only podcast in which we wear dark opaque tights with a skirt to emphasize our prim and proper femininity. I am your host, Yoda Leahy Who, and I am joined here today with... Paracel. All right, Paracel. That sounds like no, a... No, 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 Carousel. Oh, Carousel. I'm, yes. you know, my hearing's going in my old age and it's all the yodeling, really. I it's... have to tell you right now, my jaw dropped because... Because I literally am wearing black opaque tights, but I'm not Ooh. wearing a skirt, which I wore last night. I'm wearing black pants for comfort and warmth, but I, <laughs> I was like, I, I felt very cold out, out for no reason. And I was like, well, yeah, here we go. <laughs> I uh, I really thought I was threading the needle with this one. And I, I was, there was a part of me that was like, I'm never going to use this. Like, this is such a specific <laughs> reference to a thing that happens in movies and TV shows sometimes. And, and nobody's going to get it. And, and like, nobody's going to like. I even said my name. <laughs> And your name kind of fits into this. Your name kind it of like, sounds like a like a like either a hero or a villain that dresses this way. <laughs> it's Carousel with her with her umbrella and that specific like outfit attire that she's always wearing the dark skin tight. I guess they're just called tights they are uh, tight. and a skirt. And oh man, she looks such like a lady. But boy, are we mad at her. Let's get them, guys. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I hadn't even considered that it rhymes with parasol, like the umbrella. I was thinking about, like, the merry-go-round, and I was like, man, I worked so hard to try and find something that I could say one time and people would understand, and I done messed up! I done messed it up already! Well, maybe the skirt is a, a carousel, like, it's got, like, horses and other, like, you know, you know what I mean? I love that! And then I still wear the umbrella because everybody is right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we found a way to make me not an idiot. <laughs> I accept so, some somehow <laughs> against all odds. I have uh, I have our movie for today, and it's it's titled Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. I think I've seen. Mm, I don't know. No, maybe not. Okay, there was a recent-ish film about Slumberland. Is this that one? It is a 1989 movie. Okay, no. Well, I feel like it's familiar, but it's a distant familiar. Like maybe I was walking through the room and saw something like, this is very colorful. And then I didn't stay for the plot or remember the characters or anything. For fortunately for you, me, and our diehard listeners who really, really care that we stick to the formula, they are just, they're so angry anytime they even think for a moment, a, a moment's hesitation where I'm like, have you seen the movie? And the person's like, ah. that's enough for them to be like, oh, he definitely seen it. Oh God, get him. <laughs> Sorry, it's like mm, I thought it was this. Oh man, should I say the name? I thought it was the Netflix special, and I remember seeing like the trailer for that because Netflix just shows it. And I was like, oh man, I think I might have seen the trailer for this. But now that I know that it's way back in the past, and probably not, <laughs> probably not. It's like forty years old, right? I'm sorry for the people that don't like 1980s being referred to as way back in the past, but I said <laughs> way, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're being seen. I said way. Yeah, it's just col impossibly old. 1989. They were cavemen back then, right? <laughs> <They> just, <laughs> was the camera even invented? Yeah, they, they, did, <laughs> they did this whole movie on an Etch-a-Sketch. They were just like... <laughs> Because in my 
childhood, I remember that like etch a sketch genius of my parents being like, well, you could make, you know, you could make some profit out of getting really good at etch a sketch. And I was like, why would I do that? <laughs> There's this one kid that was able to draw Vatican City with etch and sketch. I was like, that's his thing. That is not my thing. So they uh, hired that kid to make that movie, right? That's what they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be exactly the case. Uh, <laughs> I, I will I, say on the note of you've, you've sort of bring, brung this up and sprung this on me and with, you know, uh, some clever research I've discovered they made a recent remake of this movie starring the the enigmatic uh, Jason Momoa. Yeah, I think that's the one that I thought I saw. Is it called mm. Just Slumberland? You know how like, they like to do that back in the it's day. It's so you modern. A, yeah. Back in the day, you could make a title with 19 fucking words in it and it was seen as like artsy and cool. And now it's like, all right, we're going to remake that movie, but let's just get rid of all those extra words. Let's, um, let's just call the movie The. Not The Tingler. That's too many words. The... <laughs> I'm going to raise my finger and say, except for anime and manga, they have definitely swung the exact other direction and they do want to cram in 16 words in the title because they don't trust your attention span to read the back of the book. I think it's possible if we're talking about like the in the remakes of it or like whenever they like try to do it again or whatever. I think that a lot of times when they expand the title in that way, it's because they have to differentiate from the previous, you know, like they first had Full Metal Alchemist and then they were like, all right, well, we're going to do Full Metal Alchemist, but it's going to be more faithful to the manga. Bro brotherhood and, and and that'll be you know we'll just throw that extra word in there and that'll differentiate us instead of saying full metal alchemist but we're more faithful to the manga now so you can watch the one that's closer to the manga than the one that isn't closer to the manga and that's that's this one the one th that this title is describing and then it has like 15 fucking words in it <laughs> yeah and then the acronym is unpronounceable to begin with so <laughs> I do like how it went from Full Metal Alchemist was like FMA, and then Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood was FMAB, which almost sounds like FAB, and I like, mm -hmm. I wish they could have just dropped the metal part, or maybe just like, I don't know. <laughs> do what the fans need to hear. That's fabulous. Well, it's just like, hyphenate it, you know? You know how they did that with Spider-Man? They were like, Spider-Man hyphen, you know? I don't know. We're getting wildly off track, and I'm sure I'll have to cut all of this, but uh, let's go ahead and I'll just, I'll tell you what the movie's supposed to be about. We could start getting into making predictions and yelling into each other's ears. The description is, each night, young Nemo goes to Slumberland and has adventures. But one night, Nemo discovers something that throws Nemo and Slumberland into danger. And that's all we've got. So, as I was listening to the synopsis, I was trying to imagine like, brave little toaster sort of style. That's nuts to me because I think, I think I'm kind of on the in the same place or maybe adjacently in the same yeah, place. Yeah, whoever that kid is and he goes to Slumberland and they're cool with it. Like, every night, it's cool. So, I like to pretend that he goes in there and they're like, high-fiving him so for the sake of fantasy, they're going to be like, Prince Nemo, so happy to have you grace Slumberland. <laughs> have the taxes been collected? Cool. <laughs> Make sure no one's out there doing stuff I don't want them doing. How are the nightmares? <laughs> have they been petted? Are they, are they nice and brushed? Good, good. Stick them on all the bad boys and girls. Stick them on them. I know I may be but a mere eight years old, but I possess the nobility and wisdom of a true Slumberland prince. Of a monarch befitting her. <laughs> A, a wise old monarch, like a wizard, but in a boy's body. I really hope that's true because it does seem weird to me that like all of a sudden Slumberland's in chaos and they're like, peasant boy, that tourist that visits us every night, it's in your hands, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I'm hoping that he has like some sort of distinguished, some respect, some title that gives him the power to command because that's a lot to ask the kid if it's just him. But there Random is also. Kid, save us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, if it's a question of imagination, I have seen some parts of the never ending book and I don't know if you should trust a kid with like limitless imagination. I'm going to go with there are definitely sidekicks and it makes sense for a movie to have marketable toys. They're definitely not going to be human. One of them is going to be like a horse because how else are you going to get around in a fantasy, right? Well, that's how you get the girls into it is a horse. (laughs) Girls are super into horses. You just have one horse and that's enough. isn't gonna watch it but then i saw a pony yes (laughs) there's gonna be a horse there might be some like uptight figure some advisor some kind of zazu maybe the merlin of the group but not powerful enough to like yeah, it's gonna be a whole bunch of nagging he can't overshadow the kid's power like right, the power right. of this monarch will be much more useful than any wizard could possibly maybe yes, he's just like yeah. a wizard who doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> he's like oh i messed up again today but that's nothing in comparison to the stocks that have really tanked nemo you're really tanked we're uh, struggling <laughs> out here we're struggling <laughs> And I I just feel like what the story wants to say, I mean, my modern brain is like the story wants to say capitalism and, you know, uh, the monarchy don't go hand in hand. But probably for the times, I would say something like the thing we're trying to get families to watch this for is like escapism is bad. That's usually what I think of. So Dorothy goes to Oz. She learns that her life is regular and good and she should be brave in her regular life. But Nemo, this isn't his first time there. He goes several times supposedly if things are good he should be able to come back but i have never actually seen a story do that except for like narnia and when they come back things have messed up so i don't know what the happy ending of fixing slumberland is where nemo gets to come back i just assume trope wise he's too good he grew up he's responsible enough in the real world to not come back or something like that what's the problem you haven't really like you've created a lot of oh this is how it's gonna be for for nemo but what's the yeah. thing that he discovers? What's the problem that's like causing issues for him in Slumberland? There's gonna be a like queen or princess figure that kisses him. That just has to be because that's how things. That's how things do. We all so know what, women are evil. Let's. That, we all no, know. No, we all, no, we all know. No, she's not evil. She's she's the reward. The kiss has always been the reward. I grew up with stories like this. You know, you do the noble stuff, you get a kiss from the princess, no Wait, matter what. So how's that the problem? The, the, that's the not problem the problem. Like, I'm trying to oh, work okay, back. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I'm trying to work back. Okay. <laughs> you were like, this woman kisses him and ruins his life. <laughs> He's like, aren't you older than me? Get off my face. <laughs> no. This is just a, it's just like a it's a parable for like, do not try to sexualize older women. It's it's wrong. Don't do it. This is a good question for me. Is it a sentient bad guy who is actively destroying Slumberland? Because I don't think it's like another kingdom or whatever. That's too much lore for a movie like this. Maybe there's like a version of um, Groucho, not Groucho, the the garbage guy on Sesame Street. Oscar. His name's Oscar. Thank you. Maybe there's a version of like an Oscar-like character that's like, for too long, I have watched other people go into houses and I have lived in a garbage. (laughs) (laughs) That's like, 
like, I don't think that kind of commentary would be there. So I kind of want to say it's just nature out of balance, but I also can't tell if that's me being modern. It's really hard for me to decide between whether it's an act of evil that is trying to conquer good or if it's just like a happenstance mystery evil and you have to like find a way to balance the forces. I like how you've you've almost constructed a situation where this entire movie takes place in Slumberland. That's um, what I thought. Yeah. Well, well, well so because you, you said this earlier and we should probably we kind of came out of the gates running. I apologize Sorry. to God and the Queen of England and the King of England and everybody and I haven't seen this movie either. So <sighs> Yeah, I haven't. Just to be clear, this you isn't. You let like... me go this long without yeah. jumping in with your wild speculations. I probably colored some of it for you. Well, you never asked, so. <laughs> I, I just assumed you knew what we were watching. <laughs> well, you know, I I appreciate your enthusiasm, so I kind of let you run rampant, but um. <laughs> You mentioned very early on, you were like, they're okay with him being in here. And the way I interpreted that initially was that you thought that maybe Nemo's parents are okay with him going into Slumberland. And in my mind, I'm like, well, no, like he goes in there to escape from his parents. His parents are shitty or his like friends are shitty or his life is shitty. And he's escaping them by going into Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe and the, the Narnia and the, and all that. He's trying to get away from the struggles and difficulties of his real life. Have you considered the possibility that there will be some introductory scenes at the beginning of the movie or maybe even some explanation scenes at towards the middle or end of the film where they'll say uh and it turns out nemo's here because his life sucks this makes more sense to me i i wasn't thinking that his parents are okay i was thinking like maybe he enters the world through let's go with a stuffed animal and <laughs> the, the stuffed animal's like you know what time it is and he's like slumberland time and they, i hadn't considered what the parents would look like or if they'd even show up or it's a secret venture who wants their kid sneaking out at night but if his life is terribly bad, which I think is a good way of calling it. His life is terribly bad, therefore he gets the privilege of going to Slumberland. That also fits with the whole you've grown up now, don't come back to Slumberland. You can handle your world. It's terrible, but eh, you know, we all gotta deal with it, kid. Tough it up. You had your fun. That Peter Pan-esque lesson that we're all supposed to like, go have your nice little escapade, and then when you come back to the real world, you better get it together. That is over with. That's done. You've grown now, Wendy. You've grown. We're all dreading the day when they tell us like oh you can't can't be a neverland any longer you're old now fucko <laughs> Can I join Captain Hook's crew if, if it means staying around? No! Now I get out of here! Go back to England! The war-torn England! War-torn England it is for you! <laughs> <laughs> to the gulag specifically! You don't even get to go back to your orphanage. You have to go to the gulag. <laughs> But continue, continue with your... You, you also brought up The Brave Little Toaster, and I love uh, animated movies like that, you know, like these children's animated films. My favorite ones were always directed by Don Bluth, and I don't know if you're familiar with Don Bluth, but I'm pretty sure you've either heard of his movies or you've seen them yourself. I he have did... owned Rockadoodle. Oh, I don't know no, if you... No, that's not him? Not. I don't know. No. Oh, I, I, I was feeling I, so cool. Does not sound like a Don Bluth movie, to be honest with you. I mean, I can look it up. Oh, holy shit, he did direct Rockadoodle. Yo, you, you got me on on that one he did uh that does not seem like a don bluth movie i don't know if this is like when he was not it probably wasn't or maybe it was when he was still working no no rockadoodle was a movie he chose to make it came out i'm, I'm not trying to be shitty to rockadoodle like <laughs> it just i cannot remember don bluth has a couple of hallmarks when he's making movies he likes to sort of challenge children
children to be faced with really difficult situations that are kind of hard to swallow, even for adults. And he got into a lot of trouble with Be the Land Before Time, where he wanted to have like just a ton of really fucked up shit in that movie. And there are some scenes where you can kind of see it like sort of shining through, like in the tar pit scene where they're just like covered in this black goo and it's just really like gothic horror-esque, I guess. And he did like All Dogs Go to Heaven and that movie is just about how dogs die. Also, there's an orphan and there's gambling. (laughs) Yeah. So he's not above showing kids some like really difficult subject matter and even on occasion some really messed up stuff. There's always that part of me that's like, I know a children's movie can be really hard hitting and impactful and have those like moving moments where you're like, damn, Littlefoot's parents die like right away. In Don Bluth's original version, I forget what the character's name, but there's like a character that's sort of there to like tell Littlefoot that it's okay and that people dying doesn't mean they're gone forever. It just means that you have to keep them alive in your heart or something like that. And that sort of like helps Littlefoot and the audience move past this like really sad moment in the movie that's like right out the gate, basically. He didn't want that in the movie. He wanted Littlefoot to have to just sit on that. Figure it out yourself, kiddo. Yeah. And I respect Don Bluth for having the faith in his audience to be able to like have those conversations and be able to say like, yeah, that's a thing that can happen. Like your mother and I could die and like probably won't happen, but it could. We'll always be in your heart or something that he would trust the parents to be able to talk to their kids about and try to you know push that conversation. I don't know what Don Bluth was trying to do there. I have no clue, but that's what I'm hoping for anytime I'm like hearing about a G-rated film that's like kind of clearly for kids. That is exactly what I am not hoping for. I'm more of the Lemony Snicket kind of narrative. Bad things happen to you, not necessarily in the is your soul crushed yet sort of way, but just as like adults would prefer not to talk about it and therefore you as a clever little young person have to make these choices about who to trust and through your own ingenuity circumvent troubles nobody else has encountered before which so, i don't think it's going to be like that <laughs> in this film yeah yeah the, the way i'm painting it up in my head is that it'll be something horrible happens at the beginning of the movie and maybe it's not very like totally understood what it is like it's sort of in order to help make this more g-rated they would kind of obscure what the strange and and sad yeah, thing yeah. is you know are you going with the sad thing is grief incarnate no, no not necessarily no. it could it could be anything the kid could be being abused the kid could be maybe he's like in a war-torn city and he saw a dead person it could be something like that you know like anything that would cause a, a child to just be like oh damn i need to escape into non-reality for a while and then over the course of the film in non-reality slumberland he sort of has fun and enjoys himself and then rediscovers the thing that traumatized him but in slumberland as if to say you can't just go into escapism to get away from your problems you have to face them and then we get like the non-reality version of whatever it is he saw and as like a critical viewer you and i will be able to say his dad fell over drunk on top of him and he thought he was gonna suffocate none of this was on purpose nobody meant to hurt anybody they just haven't gotten around to apologizing to the kid when they're sober the next day it also to me the set off instead of being like (laughs) nemo there's something strange happening at the outskirts of the kingdom and Nemo being like don't worry about it it'll resolve itself I think it's going to be something like this most precious symbol of innocence a gem a flower a happy animal is dying (laughs) see the light fading from it the life of it is going down you have a ticking clock now go figure out why it is not as shiny or beautiful as it used to be they did like to do that with like the gem of goodness is losing its light Yes. Yes. 
that's I do expect to see some sort of like the meter of good times is depleting. Now that the gem of light is losing its light, you have to go to the swamp of punching in the back of the head. <laughs> like, ooh, <laughs> the swamp of punching in the back of the head. What do they do there? We don't know. We never go. <laughs> If you see any sort of troll goblin-like people, you don't engage. You just do not engage with those people. They're only there to drive you insane. (laughs) They they, they might have a small cup. Don't put any money in it. (laughs) Yes, that is what a prince should do. Your princely money is not for those disgusting goblin people. (laughs) So I don't think that little Nemo is going to be cutting anything to blood. Like, I don't think it's going to be stabbing those goblins. But I wouldn't put it past them to have him use like a wooden sword to smack around some some greenery to show that we're in the deep parts of slumberland the junglish atmosphere that has never been explored how he beats them i'm thinking leave the dirty work to your sidekicks (laughs) (laughs) sick of horsey Oh no. This is nothing to do with smart movie analysis, but I do hope that Nemo gets a kick-ass weapon. Like I don't uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be like a sword or a or a magic staff or anything. Maybe it's just a none- protector of studying. Yeah, like it's like before he goes to bed on his nightstand is like nunchucks he got for Christmas that year. <laughs> I love that. I love to see him use the nunchucks. They're like a Oh, Nemo, we're going to have to fight this horrible, disgusting goblin of punching in the back of the head. What are we going to do? And he's like, well, I've got these two sticks and a rope. I'll just, well, here we go. (laughs) I don't think that'll happen, but I totally wish. I think the wizard-ish character or the queen person is going to be like, there was a prophecy for this exact doomsday situation. And that's how we know you need to go to the root cause. Otherwise, it's just asking a lot of a kid, wander around through. The map, <laughs> figure out what looks off, report back to me, and then we'll figure out what to do with it. I know for a fact this isn't gonna happen. This is a really unlikely thing to happen. But what if it literally is maybe he's like a kid and he helps his dad with like his dad's like a plumber or something, so he helps his dad at work and he just like, Yeah, we don't know what to do, Nemo. What what do you make out of these ancient artifacts? Maybe they'll tell you. And it just shows him like plumbing documents that he's like, I've seen this before, but I never knew how to read it. <laughs> You see, your swamp's clogged. It's supposed to be a lake. You gotta move the beaver out the way. This main line right here is right over an electrical cable, and that's gonna cause all kinds of (laughs) problems. They don't call me a little prince for nothing, Pop's collar. Little Nemo. They didn't even elect him prince for any merit other than his plumbing abilities that are all, like, (laughs) amateur at best. Do you think that all of the Slumberland people know that he's an outer worlder? Do you think that they'll call him an outer worlder or something? Like, not quite the son of Adam, but definitely, like, we're all blankets and pillows and stuff, and you look like you have flesh parts. Are you from around here? I think that what you're describing is exactly what's going to happen. Like, oh, you're the outsider and we can tell. But I do really love those worlds where it's like, well, she's a horse and I'm a anthropomorphized book and this is like a tiger person and that's a dragon. You're uh, some sort of a pig creature, I'm guessing. I don't know. <laughs> no, we don't think that's weird. We're an egalitarian society and we're not hey! here to point out our differences. We're here to come together as different people who just share a cup. Co- we're all living, right? Like, you know, <laughs> they never say all this stuff, but that's like yeah. how it's sort of treated. Yeah. Do you think that the big bad, the murky, the villain or whoever you are envisioning gets to to make threats on the queen or the good figure, the angel, the person that would be ruling Slumberland if little Nemo wasn't there. For some reason, 
in my mind, and I don't like this as much as I like what you're describing, where it's like an actual person and everything. In my mind, I'm imagining it almost as a like a force of nature. It's just a thing that's blowing through town, and it's like, oh yeah, it's the the nasty breath and the like, you know, uh, <laughs> the morning breath. <laughs> yeah, or like things that will imply. And again, I'm I'm still stuck on that. Like something weird will happen in the opening scene that we can't quite piece together, and then over right. the course of the film, we get subtle hints that if you're smart, you'll pick up on oh the nasty breath was the the smell of alcohol the other different forces of nature he had to fight were actually clues to indicate that something really bad happened to him something unspeakable or something even just sort of benign like the smell of a of a dead body that he came across while he was adventuring in the woods one day do you think he reverses it do you think he like goes to the source of the wind and strangles it or something like in the perfect version of this movie for me i'm hoping that it isn't about defeating the thing it is just about being around it and not like freaking the fuck out while you're around it. Ah. Like it's okay to just walk through the smelly storm of bad corpse breath or whatever. Like that's okay. And the challenge isn't, I have to find a way to fight this thing and kill it. The challenge is just being around it. Like being around those disgusting goblins. (laughs) (laughs) Those swamp swamp beggars. I have, I, I have something for you that I don't think you've brought up yet or even considered. Okay. Is this movie a musical? No. What makes you so sure? I feel like Disney's really trying to, like, in my head, Disney's like, don't do a musical. I dare you. I effing dare you to make make an, make an animated show that's also a musical. Go on. Look me in the face while you're doing it. So I think for this, it's just, no. You raise a good point. It probably should be because children love cramming all the kids stuff into one thing so there's a song yeah do you think the song will be about exposition or courage or the moral or i think it would be a cool way to like you know have a fun thing that kids can kind of just write off as a fun song but maybe the moral of the song is kind of like facing your fears or like just confronting an issue and seeing like how it plays out instead of just being scared of it just go and see what'll happen if you walk into the bog of punching in the back of the head oh it turns out they never punch anyone in the back of the head it's called the punch in the back of the head swamp because they don't like doing that to people and they don't like it when people do it to them so they thought they'd put it in the title so people knew but it it, it went the other way when everybody thinks we punch people in the back of the head here we would never do that yeah yeah i'm thinking there's a moment where nemo definitely almost dies and like his out-of-body experience gets to have a wish slash a lesson and based on whether or not that's pure is whether or not he gets like resurrected oh god i I hate those things where it's like a, Mm -hmm. a pure test and it's it, it just doesn't feel like there's a good way to judge whether or not like was this test really like constructed fairly what did you learn little nemo i learned that my friends were the most important part of the journey no the light of goodness needs light nemo that's <laughs> right there sorry it was right in front no of you sub- all the time <laughs> no substitutions Slumberland. yes slumberland is now gone thank you you had one job nemo you should pay attention <laughs> I do think the lesson would be something like relying on other people is a good idea. We're putting a lot on this movie uh, with it's just like... It's a kid's story. It's preachy, yeah. right? Shouldn't Every- it be? <laughs> this is kind of what this podcast is sort of made for is like i've seen other movies like this so i have to know what's going on here right but we're floundering out here we're really just like i don't know punch in the back of the head swamp i don't know maybe maybe he's a a drunk guy talked to him one time and he didn't like it like i don't know yeah yeah. 
It's gonna be a wild ride. And as soon as like I see maybe the first three scenes, I'll I'll be able to be like, well, either I was way off, you were way right, or both of us were completely off the scent. It's gonna be so sad too, because I'll, I'll see it and I'll be like, if only I had known this was the exposition, that there wasn't gonna be a Merlin character, then I would have changed everything. I'm I'm not looking forward to the thing where I'm like, maybe I'm right on a couple of things. Like there's like a uh, there's like an opening scene that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and they never really explain it throughout the whole film but maybe in slumberland there's a bunch of like religious iconography you know a bunch of crosses mm -hmm. a bunch of people mm -hmm. in robes and things and then i'm just like i come back and i'm like oh the, the thing i said was in there and you're like no it wasn't and i'm like no the thing was like that he got like molested by a priest or something and you're just like oh fuck and i'm like yeah yeah it was it was there wasn't it and you're like i don't really think it was there but like when you say it out loud and i have to think back to how many like yeah the the queen that he kissed at the end was dressed like the pope that was kind of unnecessary <laughs> he didn't seem to like the kiss either that hat was too tall <laughs> <laughs> i don't like doing that where i have to kind of like make mountains out of molehills so i'm gonna try not to do that but if it, if it comes because that's like a thing that like when you're watching it passively is completely benign but when you're like thinking about it critically and you're looking for these kinds of things you're just like oh man there was a few too many crosses there was a crown of thorns at one point oh come on there's just too many little things here for it not to be like they're implying something happened with like a religious figure that he didn't really like well that's enough for me to think and then other people will be like no no i don't know we're kind of coming up on that time are there any last minute predictions you want to make before we go ahead and lock this bad boy in i'm gonna say the longer i think about the musical i think you're right i didn't actually see the little toaster i saw trailers for so I assumed that there wasn't actually music in the little toaster. So I don't know how close that assumption was based on the little toaster that I have not also seen. The brave little toaster. I, I oh. want to say they play it straight because it's so bluthy. <laughs> but I have seen Rockadoodle. So apparently you can make songs in a really dark place. Well, I don't I don't even know. I don't know who directed this movie. Let me let me because you're allowed to know that information. Let me tell you who directed. The director is Oh Lord, this we're about to be in for a wild ride. Masami Hata and William Hertz. Oh, yeah, I, I got no new clues from that. I've never heard of either of these people, but just to have two directors' names is very interesting. There might have been like a problem where one person had to leave and another person had to pick up the work. It's hard to say. There's a lot of different reasons why you might have two different directors' names on it. Maybe one of them worked on one specific thing and another of them worked on something else. I'm not sure. But yeah, that's very interesting. I want to throw out one more thing before we go. Sure, Do sure. you think Nemo is an only child slash does he not have any younger kids that would worry about him or could stow away tag along sort of thing? Oh, is he like the only person visiting Slumberland? Is my question. Yes. I mean, I thought so because it's in the title, you know, Little Nemo, not like Little Nemo and friends, but at the same time, stowaways do help progress plots and they're not always in the title. We watched the movie Pan for this podcast not too long ago, and there were opportunities for this version of Peter Pan to have people come with him, and they just didn't really. They had okay. like, the people that did come with weren't of any consequence. I'm going to say maybe there will be people that come with him to Slumberland or people he recognizes or whatever, but they're not of any consequence. This is about Nemo. He's our boy. Go Nemo, go. Okay, I can rest on that. Yeah, to keep it title character does the story. I agree with that. He's a loner. He doesn't got any friends. He's out here to fix their plumbing problems and kiss queens. <laughs> he heard about a cookie hostage and now that's what he's gonna do. He's gonna fix that. I've gotta disparage those filthy, filthy goblins and, <laughs> and kiss a much, much older woman. <laughs> 
Do you think anybody will be sleeping in Slumberland? It just seems like it's the place where all the dreams go. So, I mean, like, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't it be kind of cool if it was sort of like, you know, the we talked about the goblin punch in the back of the headland and how maybe they titled it that way because they wanted everybody to know that this is where you go not to get punched in the back of the head because they hate doing that and they hate it when people <laughs> do it to them. And Slumberland's the same way where they named it Slumberland because this is where you absolutely cannot sleep. And that's part of the rules. You can't sleep here. Nobody sleeps here. <laughs> Now it sounds like there's like this like tickle tormentor where you can't even get drowsy in, in Slumberland in case, you know, you break the laws. <laughs> like that was, that was, okay. the, the punishment has to be like such a nice thing. Like you get tickled and, instead of getting stabbed in the foot or whatever. Like, oh no. It's inverse insomnia. You can't wake up because we don't go to sleep here. So good luck going back to your own homeland. Ooh, uh, that's a tricky, tricky place to be. One thing that I'll be very disappointed in is if like the nightmare wind that we were talking about that full force evil is just people falling asleep. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. I'm gonna roll my eyes so hard. <laughs> the thing he discovers is that you can fall asleep in, in Slumberland and it's not good for some reason. I mean, like, here I am roasting Nemo for like for not getting the main lesson is to rely on your friends. Actually, it's to save the good thing. And it's like right on the title Slumberland is for sleeping. Slumberland's going to sleep. The Slumberland. I'd be like, oh man, they did that. They the, they did the, the trauma he experienced is that uh, he he was at school telling a story and one of the kids fell asleep while he was telling that story and so he's really embarrassed and now he has dreams about it and the, the horror in the dream is that people are falling asleep in the dream and it's because he's there he's the one making people fall asleep <laughs> and that's not far off from a kid that's like running away from his real life problems right so like maybe his parents don't give him enough attention and that's why he needs to be like the center the center of attention so to have people fall asleep on him is like a slap in the face like the first time you were here that was cool and the second time you came in less people showed up to the comedy club you better bring it this night because if not we're all going to sleep we've signed a petition we've got our pillows out you need to make us have a good time or we're gonna use this land's name to its full extent dang <laughs> brutal <laughs> The prince, you should know how to handle your people. <laughs> the, the prince of comedy. Maybe that's what he's the prince of. <laughs> I really wish I could see a kid, like, do stand-up comedy, because there was, like, no childhood stories about that when I was growing up. There wasn't, like, you could become a stand-up comedian. You were a jokester kid, and you got out of situations, but that was never a career option. I would love to see little Nemo as, like, <laughs> the pioneer. Not only a noble prince, but the one that eases tension and keeps people awake, because this is Slumberland. You must not. You must not go to sleep. In a G-rated movie, I could not see any good kind of stand-up. There's no way. That's so true. This is worse than Disney Channel. Like yeah. Disney Channel's PG. Oh man, what about those parents? They're not Their great. Were three ducks, but one of them was a goose. Hey. <laughs> I don't really like Time Out, but uh, it's not as bad as getting smacked on the bum bum. Hey. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> the dentist. What's up with those people? <laughs> I will go watch this film and see what see what it brings me. Let's split up, watch the movie, and we will be back with more prattling on about, about the movie <laughs> once we've seen it. A double blind. I'm excited. All right, let's go.
So we're back from the movie. I have a lot of really mixed feelings about this, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm, I'm going to hand it off to you really quick because I, I feel like I have so many mixed feelings about this. I just kind of want to follow your lead. You start us off and I'll throw in my two cents when necessary. I want to make sure you know what you're doing because I already hogged the microphone as soon as we started. So you're the captain of this ship. To <laughs> um, let's let's see how, how land worthy this boat is. <laughs> Alright, everyone should know that when we say he goes to Slumberland every night, we're talking about an Inception-level visit to Slumberland. He wakes up, but his, like, physical surroundings are tampered. He wakes up, but his sidekicks are there. How many minutes would you say we spent in the real world in this movie? Good question, because does that middle ground count? No, if he's still in a dream, he's still in a dream. Even if it looks like his bedroom. Well, <laughs> at one point, they call his bedroom dream. And like the, the people are like, what's a dream? And he's like, well, it's like this. And they're like, oh, you mean this room we're in is called dream. Okay, I see. You were dead on. People do not sleep in Slumberland. <laughs> <laughs> At least the goblins do not sleep. There were goblins. We got two different kinds of goblins. There is a whole lexicon of goblins. That there has to be, right? Mm -hmm. This movie had opening credits. And when I read Nightmare King, I was like, oh, yeah, Nightmare King. And then I read Goblin General and I was like, oh, yeah, a Goblin General listening to the orders of Nightmare King. And I can honestly not tell you who the Goblin General is. Maybe, hmm. So the different goblins that we spend the most time with, the good goblins, are all like some variation of the word oomp, like yes. oompel, oompe, like they have a different version of oomp for each of their different names. Is this like a Willy Wonka thing? Like oomp, oompa loompas? Or? Oh, well, maybe the goblin general was the guy bragging to the Nightmare King about how he completely eliminated the hero and there's no such threat ever again. I don't mean to dive into this so quickly, but so the villain of this movie is like the fear of like darkness, like because he, he's basically just this black void and he sort of sucks everything in, right? Like, so that's darkness is scary. Influenced by Fantasia. Yes, very clearly influenced by Fantasia. Maybe this kid watched Fantasia and was just like, oh, fuck, that thing's spooky. Are we sure that this came before Fantasia or after, I mean? Oh, I am almost certain, but let's, we have the time. Let's go ahead and look into it. Because, Fan you know, sometimes they, they snatch, you know. Fantasia came out in 1940. Yeah. I was pretty sure Fantasia's old as sin, and uh, <laughs> sure enough it is. When when you're like... Even older than 1980? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, it found a way to be older than 1989. <laughs> okay, okay. So, like, the uh, darkness, maybe he watched Fantasia and was like, that's pretty spooky. Hitler? Yeah, very briefly. Heil, yes. Yeah, he does yeah. He does Heil, and then once he explains the wonderful thing he did, he's like, Heil Nightmare, does the little hand thing and everything, and then gets a little metal. And he's wearing- This is not Nemo, by the way, should tell everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, very, very <laughs> distinctly. This is the Goblin General, or the Nemo guy- Nemo may have been influenced by Fantasia, but he was not the one doing this for the Nightmare King. Yeah, getting, getting awarded the Medal of Killing Children by the Nightmare King. <laughs> And, like, clearly the character from Fantasia is also, like, a demon, so maybe the Nightmare King is, like, Satan. We did get a guy dressed up as a pope with we no... Did. He had nothing to do. He was just, like, walking in the background, like, I'm a pope. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This was during the coronation, as you know. They had, mm -hmm. you know, church and state go together for divine sanctioning of rulership. So I was like, oh, I did notice that as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, check mark. <laughs> we, got our, we got our pope. 
You got a little tick mark here. Yes, yes, I'll take it. The good thing about the opening scenes of Nemo, there was no scary, incomprehensible scuffle, some traumatic weirdness. There was a kid sleeping. Like we start at night, kid asleep. Yeah. And he's he's well adjusted, question mark. And he goes flying around town. And I was excited for him because I thought that the bed was on like a conveyor belt, like an invisible conveyor belt being summoned by whoever this is. But no, he can steer it like a airplane just left right up. So I don't, yeah, I don't so get the bed's deal. Nemo can fly the bed, but also the bed is sentient. Is it? Yeah. So remember in the later scene when the Nightmare King is like, where are you, Nemo? And Nemo screams out because he's torturing the girl. And then he's like, there you are. And he like pulls him out of the little duct that he's hiding under. And then the goblins are kind of just stuck back there because they don't have any means of getting out there. But then the bed flies out, picks up the goblins, and then goes and picks up Nemo. There's no other way to explain that the bed was not sentient when it does that. It could just be connected to Nemo's mind in some way, like he can just sort of command it with his brain, but that seems a little far-fetched. Especially since the rest of the movie, he's like, no, no, and the bed does not know breaks. The most the bed will do is go up, but it will not stop, pause, and place, let him observe. It's... It's always moving. Yeah. It's the horse. It's the horse of the movie. <laughs> it is the horse of the movie. And I checked, he does not ride a single horse in this movie. No, he does Even ride a horse. Where? Right in the beginning of the movie, when he goes out to see the parade, that old man is like, do you want to get a ride on this horse? And he pulls him up onto the horse. Okay, because I was like, the princess carriage is being manned by goats. Yes. It's the goats are pulling the princess <sighs> carriage. I was like, okay. S small detail. Blink and you'll miss it. But like, they're having the scuffle about the rat. And they're like, oh, your rat, it, it sucks. And he's like, no, that's not a rat. That's Icarus. He's my boy. I, I, he's a rat, but he's not like a rat. I don't know. Sorry, Icarus. Ugh. And they get on the carriage and they're like riding around the carriage having fun. There's a scene where Icarus is sitting next to a frog. And the frog is just like making frog noises i guess maybe he it's like a flintstone situation where this is the horn for the carriage like you're yes. honking the horn and the frog just goes bah, 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 bah. I, I don't know but i saw that frog and i was like that thing is fucking cute as shit and i hope it's in the rest of the movie constantly and, oh, it was not it was not huge disappointment I thought you were going to go somewhere. We unfortunately didn't come to the same place about the Icarus argument. When you insult my boy Icarus and I say he's not a rat, this would be the perfect opportunity to clarify to all children who love Icarus that he is a flying squirrel. There's like some kid who's like hyper fixated on rodents that is just like, that's a flying squirrel, you idiot! Ah! You know? But the movie does not give you the satisfaction of clarifying what Icarus is. No, this movie hates those kids. Those kids he's that are just like... Not not a rat. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> you may look at him and think, is that a squirrel? But you will never be confirmed by the movie. <laughs> There's like a scene where he has like a little pouch that he's trying to put cookies inside of. Do flying squirrels have a like like a pouch like that? Is that a thing? Unknown. Unknown. I don't know. We can learn, I guess. I, I we have the time. Let's use the time. Flying squirrel pouch? Kangaroo pouch. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't give me porn. Please. <laughs> As far as I can tell, it does not appear to be the case. I'll try a more specific search. Do flying squirrels have pouches? Yep, yep. They have no pouch. Nope. They, they lied to us. There's no pouch. 
So that's why they couldn't say he's a flying squirrel, because he's not, he's a flying marsupial. Some sort of strange dream creature. He's not in the movie before any dream sequences. He appears in the movie in the, the real world sequence where he goes to visit the parade. That's the first time Icarus shows up. But first time we see Icarus, he's from a tree. Maybe there's something fucky there with Icarus, I don't know. But Icarus is just super weird. I'm a squirrel with an aviator scarf. <laughs> no, he has aviator goggles. <laughs> and a scarf. Did he have a scarf? I thought he has a scarf, and I thought the scarf is red. We have the time. I have a really good imagination of that entire movie. I was just imagining a red scarf. Icarus. Well, let's oh, take so no scarf. None, none, oh none at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you watched that whole movie just dressing him up in your head. You're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what that, what that squirrel needs is a scarf. Did he have pants too? Like, did you give him a full suit? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay. Why is Slumberland the core and Nightmare a place slash thing the outskirts of it? Like, why do you have to, from the real world, go through Nightmares to get to Slumberland? Yeah, I really like the opening of the movie where we introduce the idea of, like, a dream world as, like, it does sort of seem like he's in Nightmare Land in that portion of it, right? Because mm -hmm. it is a, like, a scary thing. It sort of starts off as, like, exciting and fun, but very quickly devolves into, I'm going to die, I'm scared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and they even do this really clever moment where he goes across train tracks and phew so good that he didn't actually get run over by a train but then in like nightmare land not too later than that there is a relentless train that is absolutely dead set on nemo and his bed yeah and i was like did he die is this what happened did he die on those train tracks <laughs> Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping for that, where, like, he had some sort of a traumatic event at the train tracks, but they never, never, ever reference it again. The closest they will do is say that he likes trains, because yeah. trains do pop up again and again. I was going to say that the dad might be a train conductor or, like, works with trains. You know, he has that watch, and, like, that's something we associate with train conductors. He's got to be on time. He's very, like, that's important to him. But then he says he has a meeting, and I don't know what meetings train conductors have, question Mark? You're right. When I saw him, I was like, are they going for like a Mary Poppins dad thing? Or like, father's never home. It's only business with him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess so. I mean, he's like, good night, honey. And she's like, I'll, I'll see you in bed later, dear. The wife keeps calling her husband Ralph. Like she uses his first name. And that's really weird to me. I don't know if it's just like a colloquial thing where like, where I grew up, your parents called each other Hun or something like that. Not, yes, Chris. Come come to bed, Chris. I mean, who else is going to use this dad's name since he's like at the workplace and we don't really care about where he works? Well, we didn't get the mom's name. Do you remember the mom's name? Mm, I'm, I'm bad at remembering as we established with that scarf thing. <laughs> <laughs> they might have given her a name and then just never used it in the movie. I could see it where they're just like, no, she's the mom. Yeah, her name is Darling. On the, on the note of interesting names, can we talk about Professor Genius? Don't say both parts, which would be super cool to do. Just call him Professor. I mean, he's uptight, so he's a professor. But that's the thing he asks them to call him professor genius when he's introducing himself he's like i'm a professor and i'm a genius you can just call me professor genius and then for the rest of the movie everyone just calls him professor as if the movie knows that's pretentious and shitty professor genius is your name actually professor genius are you a professor 
and your last name's Genius, or are you just some asshole who's decided his only identifying quality is that he's kind of smart, and therefore you must call him Professor Genius? I thought Professor Genius was the coolest thing that man had going for him. Like, maybe his last name was Genius, and he chose to live up to it as part of his family pride. And, like, instead of calling him, that's Professor Genius, it's just like, oh, there's, there's that guy that cares about decorum and punctuality. He's the professor. <laughs> Like, no! He does get to let his hair down at one point to dance. I didn't like how he introduces himself as Professor Genius, and then he's like, oh yeah, and this is Bon Bon. This is my big, dumb, stupid, idiot girl who follows me around. Her name's Bon Bon, whatever. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> if you're not royalty, your titles don't count. Bonbon doesn't she doesn't go on the rest of the adventure. She she shows up to be like, you're invited. And then she's there at the destination. She's there to get to the destination. Then she's there in the room of the destination. And then she she's just a citizen. She does help them play, like the princess and Prince Nemo play in the sky for a bit. Uh, yeah. But, they but were having so much fun. She's there as like the help, not as like I mean, I guess she's technically joining in on the fun but it, it just doesn't really feel like it feels like she's kind of just move the story she's yeah yeah she's part of the things as they regularly are so there is a princess and i was patting myself on the back about that but mm -hmm. there wasn't a light of goodness and that made me sad i got excited when i saw the key a little bit then i was like oh no you can't this key will get less glowy depending on how bad the nightmare is I was like nah it's just a key so i was disappointed in that part the princess being being like basically it's 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 weird to me that Nemo is scared to be with a girl in any way like even just in the vicinity of a girl is off-putting to him like mm -hmm. Professor Genius is like all right well I'll leave you guys to interact as normal humans are meant to interact and he's like don't leave me alone with her she'll do something unspeakable to me and it's like where do you get this idea Nemo she's a, she's just a person it's fine you can be around her by yourself she's not gonna hurt you he was okay with being alone with this like old man and riding a train with him and he had no qualms with that but like as soon as he's alone with a girl he's like oh god she <laughs> that uh, that character saw lady said that she's gonna kiss me and ruin my life oh fuck 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 <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So, two points here. No one makes a remark about Nemo being from the outside world, which on the one side, okay, because you accept it, but they all look human-esque, most of them. Yeah, except for the really fantastical ones, like Bon Bon. They basically look like people. So I was a little disappointed that she wasn't like, you from another world. <laughs> oh, by the way, and this irked me later on, Nemo's invited into Slumberland as a guest, as a playmate for the princess. But that is not really why he is brought to slumberland and i was like mm, that's a trap the thing that frustrates me about it is I, I feel like they didn't want to come out and say it but like they never explain why he's there they're basically just like yeah the princess invited you to hang out with her and also the king wants to make you the prince now you're his sole heir and uh yeah that's the thing they don't say like the prince needed someone to marry his kind of mean daughter she's a little mean she's mean to animals and that's not cool and everybody knows she didn't want to hang out with this cool frog i gave her she just turned him into a horn and she uses goats as wheels uh i don't know it's it's really troublesome but we figured if we got an outsider to come in here and marry her at least then she could be married and that would be good hey, and fine have you heard about princess camille you haven't that's good how about you come uh visit her sometime like now maybe even before you get to meet her i think you should just sign up to stay here before you even meet her i will give you everything i own if you will just stay here <laughs> That's really how it goes 
down. We meet the king. The king says his piece. We meet the bad guy. The bad guy does his thing. And then we meet her. And it's kind of underwhelming because she's introduced with all this like grace and she's in the right clothes and she's playing a harp and she's singing like a classical singer, but not all the way princess. She's got that like rom-com sense about her where she picks a fight with him and then loves it and giggles a lot. And as as getting real like jungle book vibes. As soon as he like stands up to her, she just immediately backs down and says, I'm sorry, but like, no, you you started this. You have to play it through. Don't just give up on the bit. Well, now that you've stood up to me, I think you look cute in your little insult. What? Yeah. What? And I'm like with him. I'm like, what? What? And then like, yep, that's the end of this scene. And I was like, um, um. Was there, was there a single use of the word cute in this movie that didn't make your skin crawl? Uh, probably not. If I'm being honest, I, I wanted to second thing that I wanted to bring up is you said he doesn't have a reason to be afraid of a little girl, but he gets manhandled by literally everybody. That's he, true. He's dragged, he's pulled, he's grabbed, his hair is ruffled, he's sized up. <laughs> At one point, he meets a grown woman who is very mature and she gives him dance lessons. And the joke is that he can't breathe during these dance lessons. Yeah, I think the adult joke is that this woman is like way more sexualized than any other character in the movie. She has a voluptuous body. She has revealing clothing on. Uh, we're not really revealing, but like more revealing than anyone else. And she's like dancing on him in a way where she's pressing his body up against her body specifically in like, again, a more sexual way than any other person. And I think that's part of the bit, maybe not the entirety of it, but like as an adult, I think that you're supposed to watch this and be like, oh yeah, I remember being a kid and having like adults hug me and feeling really weird about it. Uh, yeah. And that's sort of like the thing that you're supposed to relate to as an adult I think like yeah. I don't know maybe you had like an aunt or something that was like a bustier gal and she'd give you hugs and you'd be like oh fuck this is weird and I don't know why yeah I did get that this was played for that familial memory rather than hey we know there are some people in the audience that are bored right now how about looking at this lady give this kid a dance lesson wink wink yeah it is super weird though and they did it twice too like they didn't have to do it twice <laughs> They did to it. Like. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the weird part is she didn't even really dance that way with, uh, well, she dances the same way with Professor when he gets thrown into it, but it's not as He's like. too tall to get yeah. the, yeah. They don't play it up that same way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he's almost legitimately dancing with her. Whereas whenever she has to dance with the kid, she's like, I'm going to slap you in between my massive honkers and it'll be super funny and cool. And I'm just <laughs> sitting here like, Ugh, God. <laughs> Yeah. So another thing I realized while watching this film is nobody listens to Nemo. It's just about nobody. Whenever he's in danger, he says, help me. And there's no one there to hear his calls. Whenever he sees danger about to happen, he's like, help, get out the way. I'm trying to save you. And his, in this case, I'm talking about his mom doesn't do any of those things. Then he goes in and, you know, stuff is starting to take shape. The bad things are coming in and he's like, help, you know, stop. I, I'm trying to get this message out, but he's crowded out and the joy is too loud. The first, I, I don't know how many times I kept track of this after time, after this happened, the first time I noticed someone listening to Nemo was the princess. And it was only through her as a princess that she's able to stop people from doing what Nemo doesn't want done, which is, I think, crazy because at this point, he's already a prince. That yeah. also happened, by the way. He becomes a prince. In, in like the most unceremonious manner, like <laughs> basically just like, you're a prince now. Oh, okay. I, I did think it was really weird in the scene where the king is being attacked or is about 
about to be attacked by the nightmare repeatedly, the princess gives Nemo an opportunity to explain what's going on to her. And he just Mm -hmm. continues to refuse to acknowledge her in any way. He's basically like, "Uh, uh, take this stick. I don't want it. Anyways, I gotta go figure this out. Oh, fuck. I'm coming back. Give me the stick. And she's like- I just talk to myself sometimes, so don't worry about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She she consistently is like, what's wrong? How can I help? What's going on? And he's just like, "Eh, God, a woman. Gross. Don't worry, you pretty little head. I think it's also that I understood that he had a chance to redeem himself, but it also felt like, do you admit to the thing that's going wrong when there's still hope that you can hide it under the rug? Do you do that? So this is where my mixed feelings start coming into play here. The movie has such a strong opening and such a weak ending. They do a really good job of establishing like, this is the rules of the world and this is what we're doing here. These are the stakes. And then when they get to the point where it's clear that they're trying to establish Nemo has to learn and what he has to change about himself and how he has to grow. They just kind of slap it all together really fast. Has to be the last like five minutes of the movie. They're just like, so the whole movie was basically about, he felt bad about sneaking out to grab a a midnight snack. That wasn't a cool thing for him to do. And it upset his mom. And he's actually really upset about that. And that's why he's having these really really complicated dreams. And also he's frustrated because he's not really sure if he's going to get to actually go see the circus. So he created these magical dream worlds where he could have kind of all of that. But then it sort of seeps in where he's like, oh, I did a thing. I knew I promised I shouldn't have done, but I did it. And now it's caused everything to be bad and like I guess nightmare world is the opposite of a circus so he has to go to the opposite of a circus or maybe staying home while you know the circus is out there is like basically going to nightmare world I don't know it doesn't do a very good job of this and again it sort of slaps it all together all at once in one little like blink and you'll miss it scene where they're like oh you're awake that's great I'm glad you didn't fall out of your bed anyways we're going to the circus and he's like eating the pie that was bad of me and she's like it's okay but they don't do a good job of like making you sit and stew in lying is bad trying to cover up your lies is bad don't break your promises be patient and good things will happen you're absolutely right they don't have they don't have beats like that there's like the action a whole bunch of action and then right as the consequence is coming being like you're right i don't deserve it they're like are you kidding you just now confessed you defo deserve it it's almost like the movie thinks that it's okay to do a shitty thing if you get caught then apologize but if you don't get caught Keep lying until you get caught. I'm not so sure about that because he is tortured over it repeatedly and psychologically. I I was wondering how many times I was going to see Nemo fleeing for his life with the death worry on his face as he's running as fast as he can or like rowing as fast as he can or dropping from the sky. Uh, Just like very perilous situations all over. You promised you weren't going to touch this dessert, but you did. I don't know if we're saying you can lie and get no pain from it. You're right. He does have all these like dreams where that's happening but that's like his subconscious right the active like decision making he's making is to continue to lie and cover up his actions until the very last moment where it's like yeah that key's real important glad that you have it and you're gonna get everything you want here it's gonna be a magical life you're gonna live here in, in slumberland and he's like ah oh, damn i better go and get that key or they'll know i i did the bad thing <laughs> that's, that's pretty true. pretty hard evidence that can't really be like covered up and lied about <laughs> Yeah, like subconsciously, he's obviously very tormented about it, but it feels like that's the stuff that we as adults can look at and say like, yeah, obviously he's pretty bent out of shape about this, but like kids watching this movie are going to be like, yeah, I just lying. Next time I'll get the key out, but you couldn't because your like accomplice abandoned you. Don't hang out with the wrong people. We've done a very good job up until this point and not once, not 
one damn time have we talked about Flip, the most malignant tumor who ever existed. If you had to make a utopian society, but put all of the bad urges of people aside, instead of making a purge day, just put them all into one character who does vile things on a regular basis and his bounty is like one billion dollars. Flip. Yeah, I don't know how the answer at the end of the movie wasn't like, Flip, thanks for helping us with the nightmare situation. That was helpful. You weren't useless. Thank you. But you have a lot of problems, man. You got to get your life right. Like, I, I don't know if we should put you in jail or if we should just get you with a life coach. You can't live your whole life just being like, I'll do whatever I want and get into mischief and like fuck shit up. And not all of it is like lighthearted mischief. There's a whole portion where he sets off fireworks like... Those were coronation fireworks. That even, was going to be made this scene spectacular. Even if we take away the like meaning of the fireworks, that's genuinely dangerous. This is an act of terrorism. Those are explosives. You you can tell also because of the way he treats his steed. He rips off feathers, he like beats it kind of. It, it, he the only he abandoned it. Seemed, yeah, the only break it seemed to get was like when you're carrying it, I was like, oh, that's not so bad. And then right as soon as soon as like the police comes, he's like, well, bye steed, you know, get captured. I did like that the name of his steed is Flop and it's like Flip Flop. I think that's fun. Flap. Oh, was it Flap? Flap. Oh, Flip, it, the, the, the flap. subtitle said Flap. I didn't I didn't watch it with subtitles. I So that's a that's a good point. If, if you can find a copy of this movie in like any other language that in a language you don't understand it's probably one better voice acting and two just a better experience because all of the parts where he's trying to say the magic words are the most annoying things in a movie ever <laughs> and you will get plenty of exposure of magic word saying yeah so it's it's crazy to me that there are scenes where he's like kind of annoyed with how like annoying Icarus's animal gibberish talking is mm -hmm. and they even have characters who are in the movie to note how annoying it is. They're like, ah, oh, it hurts our ears. This is annoying. But at no point do we have the like sense to say maybe the magic words shouldn't just be pajama and variations of pajama. Yeah. Just said ad nauseum over and over and over and over and over again. That's how you know that he graduated, right? Because the king was like, you'll be able to wield this weapon when you have wisdom and strength. And the wisdom is being able to memorize the entire incantation. But then the king is able to use it without an incantation to bring him back from the dead? That's that's soft. It's the healing version of the royal scepter. Healing version of the royal scepter is telepathic. He healing is girl magic. Version of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we're using girl magic, it doesn't need magic words. It's just chill, like whatever. <laughs> Just, you know, use your intentions. I was going to say the same thing happens in The Little Mermaid. He just like dips his trident in and then the stuff happens, but he never used an incantation. So there's no basis. I also don't think um, that like in order to show that he's graduated to the point where he's a, a worthy prince or a worthy person or whatever, it doesn't need him to be able to use it the exact same way the king was using it. Why can't he just use it without any words? And that shows, wow, he has an even greater mastery of this than the king could have imagined or something like that. He's actually worthy. Yeah, the, the king saw something in him that we didn't see until this moment. Yeah, you're right. It's it's very much, it's used this way and only this way. Good luck, kiddo. Why did it have to be that way? It's just there to annoy me. And there's another scene that annoys me. There are two scenes that annoy me. The worst scene, somehow worse than Pajama Ramama Pabama, somehow worse than that, is when they introduce the good goblins, Icarus jumps up and just starts screeching for a few seconds too many. And that is objectively a bad choice. They could have had Icarus do anything to fight off the goblins and show that he's a worthwhile member of the team 
which I'm guessing is the purpose of that scene. And I guess also to show that the goblins are inert in terms of attacking someone. They're not capable of that. I don't know. Maybe just show Icarus sort of, you know, that thing that cats do. They, they had it actually earlier in the movie where they just kind of like shoot out all their hairs in like a pointy kind of fashion. Yep. Maybe Icarus could have done that and they'd be like, oh God, it's so scary. Jumped on the branch and the branch bent towards his weight and then he jumps off the branch and the branch smacks one of them. Yeah. There's so many good options here, but just a loud screaming. I'm not even going to replicate it because it was so annoying. I could do That's that. True. I'm choosing not to. Uh, you you audience people, you remember that. Remember? Yeah. Remember how irritated you were when you saw that? Just think to yourselves. I could recreate that right now and I'm choosing not to. You're welcome. <laughs> Carousel, you're not making this easier. Stop bringing up that noise. I'm choosing to spare you. Don't <laughs> say that I never did nothing for you. You're welcome. <laughs> you're all welcome. Okay, I, I wrote in my notes to bring up the aesthetic. So I was trying to, th I thought it was going to be completely Western. And uh, as soon as I saw the thumbnail, I saw pretty anime-esque princess. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of like a hybrid sort of style. I thought they did a wonderful job creating a dream place. You've got the zoo animals, they're weather nymphs, they're beautiful architecture. The sky is the limit. You can do stuff in the sky, outside the sky. The skies are kind of like dimensional almost like at one point you can go into the deep part of an ocean and come out in another sky so I, I wanted to bring that up actually I'm glad you brought that up water in this movie is both a threat and a means of transportation it is used both ways mm -hmm. it's very weird like even in the scene where he's like floating on the bed on on a body of water and he sees professor genius, professor genius. god king emperor professor genius professor genius is scared of touching the water like when he's like come on to the boat but be careful. Why be careful? It's 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 water. I can just swim in it over to there. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about that until you get to the dark water lava spirit goop bog. There's a there's like a liquid-esque thing in Nightmare Land that's not water. Yeah, I don't know why they consistently did that. And I guess in dreams that is kind of like an off-putting thing that happens a lot where you'll expect something to work one way and it doesn't work that way. And specifically a lot of people experience like I I touched something and it it wasn't like I touched a brick and it didn't feel like a brick. It felt like kind of like water, but not exactly like water, like somewhere in between those two things. So water and another thing. So I guess maybe that's what they're getting at here. It came up so often. It was kind of weird to me. Mm. Not bad, just like noticeable. And like, I don't know, th that was another thing that the movie had some cool and creative ideas for like stuff in dreams, but then just didn't like completely go there. Like, okay, instead of having horses draw the carriages, we'll have like lions and camels. And I don't know. I Love can't think it. of another I I love those choices. They they bounced off of the back of crocagators. Like <laughs> there was no animal that couldn't be domesticated and at peace. Um, sure. And also props to like all of the extras having this really bright color palette. Like these people just being like head shapes all grayed out. But no, they have their own dresses and outfits and uniforms. The orchestra conductor has polka dot pants and all of the instrument players have striped pants. I did like in general a lot of the design for these sorts of things, but it comes back to the earlier problem with like the we're going to use something other than a horse to draw these carriages they just didn't have enough like variation in it for me to be completely sold oh yeah this is definitely a dream
stream. Like, why didn't they have people drawing some of the carriages or have like a pair of shrubs moving somehow through a carriage? You know what I mean? Like, I guess I've been sort of spoiled by Hayao Miyazaki movies where it's like, oh, this is genuinely some trippy stuff here. There's like a talking fire in one of those movies, you know, like there's there's all kinds of crazy stuff. And not even most of those movies happen in a dream. A lot of them are like presented as if, no, this is real life. It's just kind of magical. I don't know to what degree they needed to do this, but like the butlers looked like butlers and that was weird. The fencer looked like a fencer and that was weird. He can do fencing stuff, but dress him up like a giraffe. That's kind of funny. I think they weren't trying to like take you out that idea that you too could go to slumberland a completely functioning society with you know rules we don't need to get into or think about yeah uh, it's just an actual place that cares i was looking for like we i was looking for the oscar and there was no there was no oscar everybody everywhere you looked it's like the gleaming side of society slumberland yeah I, I guess you're probably right they do want to keep this as like functioning as normal as they can my gripe i'm trying to get out here is like yeah let's keep it functioning normally and we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty of it just kind of play up the craziness of it a little bit more than they did because i don't know like having the guards dressed up like guards effectively is kind of like eh. no i think you're right um in that it, it does feel stuffy and a place that's supposed to be free and fun and liberating you still have a princess wagging her finger at you not coming properly dressed and you still have people to manhandle you into wearing the right things nemo you're going to get manhandled <laughs> that's yeah. just what this spot is out to do for you i get that like some dreams do have realistic portions of them so i'm okay with like the princess dressing like a princess maybe that's a fantastical thing in nemo's mind but like there should have just been a couple more things that were like weirdly out of place and completely unexplained like the manta ray there's a manta ray that just like flies at them at one point and i'm like but that's that's from nightmare land it, it, it's a nightmare yeah i don't know why the manta ray is like a nightmare land monstrosity but the lions that are casually pulling this carriage are just chill boys they're cool because there isn't an aquarium in the zoo <laughs> that's gotta be it <laughs> wherever he's living has a really shitty zoo <laughs> There's no, there's no manta ray in the circus. So he saw it in a book one time and was like, that thing would fuck me up. <laughs> he saw a lion in the book and was like, I'd hang out with that. I'd pet that sweet baby boy. It's just a yawn, not a roar. It's just a yawn. Yeah. A yawn in lion. So speaking of some of the weirder elements of Slumberland, I was not going to forget to talk about how Flip finds the back rooms of Slumberland, goes like behind a door, behind a curtain, through some stairs, and things are upside down. Yeah. But we're in Slumberland, the place encased in a crystal safely from Nightmare on the outside, but that houses the door of the Nightmare King on the inside. So what even are the dimensions, man? I, and that's maybe why I feel so betrayed. But the we opened a door and the next room is upside down and gravity didn't adjust itself. So we just have to figure this out. That was an example of me thinking, oh, we're going to start getting some real wacky dream stuff going forward, right? Mm -hmm. And then they just didn't. They did not. I, I was even on the lookout for it because at one point, Nemo comes to like this, I think they're pigs. They're unicorn pigs as a decorative motif on this vase and then Flip uses it as like next to the vase is a trap door. So I was like, mm, okay, yeah. if I look for things that have like a horn on them, then then I should know about the nightmare encroaching upon Slumberland. But nope, don't do that. I wasn't rewarded. I was pretty disappointed with that where they sort of just stumble into the place that they're not supposed to go and is like heavily secretive about and nobody go there because that's where the worst possible thing is like locked away. <laughs> 
how did two people just stumble upon that? And, and the answer is pure happenstance. They got really, really, really lucky. I legit thought that the Nightmare King had like summoned Flip to do his bidding because it seemed very much like a setup. It's like, whoa, we just happened to be here with the biggest door I've ever seen and the most locks I've ever seen. And you have the key that you're not supposed to use. Well, why don't you do that, kid? Why don't you do it? Do it. You're heavy. Do it. I'm running out of time. Oh, well, this is this is too serious. I'm leaving. And I was like, what? No, you go answer your master, Flip. You go tell him that you did right. I do like that Flip flipped on Nemo almost instantly. Someone did something fucked up. Was it Flip? He's the bad boy. And he was like, no, actually, it was Nemo this time. I'm throwing him right under this bus. Well, you know what? It actually makes sense. I think it could be Nemo. And Nemo's like, what? No, it's Flip. And they're like, nah, Flip had a little bit of truth in his lie. What, what do you got to say for yourself? <laughs> he didn't even like there was nothing about what he was saying that had any follow-up flip was like well, but he has the key there's no way i could open it without the key right are you saying i mugged you young man and if he had just said yep he, he mugged me i would be like well at least you're committed you're, you're in the law you're gonna fucking go for it i appreciate that nemo he was like well i'm not gonna lie any more than i already have so <laughs> So what, what I do like is that he says, I saw it with my own eyes. And no one is like, how do you know where the door is? And how could you have seen the exact moment when Nemo unlocked the door? <laughs> they were about to murder this man, shoot him out of a cannonball into space mm -hmm. because the prince gave the worst lie ever and then immediately got disproven by this dude. And then the prince continued to be like, no, oh, oh. <laughs> Wait a minute now, wait a minute. It's bizarre to me that they decided to kill Flip with all the evidence pointing at the prince. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, Nemo definitely did this. Except they just lost a monarch, and I really thought that the king was dead, because it looks like he's swallowed up by goop, and the goop turns to ash, basically. So I was like, oh, girl, you watched your dad die. Oh, girl. I'm so sorry, girl. But he's not really. He's imprisoned by the Nightmare King. And I was like, well, that's nice. That's a nice second chance. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him at the end of the movie, but not entirely surprised. Like, when I'm thinking things like, oh, they just actually killed a character. I'm like, no, this movie's G. It's a G-rated movie. Nobody gets to die. <laughs> they just get really bad boo-boos. Nope, not even that. I thought Icarus was going to die because that name, right? Like, his name's Icarus. That oh, means... I was like, why would you name him that? <laughs> yeah, that means I can fly and I can die. And... <laughs> And I, I don't know why they like set it up like he was about to die, but then he doesn't. And I'm like, mm, I don't Were know. You disappointed? Were you disappointed? Were you disappointed, Yoda? <laughs> disappointed for, Icarus didn't live up to his name? Yeah, for, for all of you, you know, flying squirrel enthusiasts out there, I wanted that flying squirrel dead. <laughs> I'm the I'm the J. Jonah Jameson of Death to Flying Squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> Once I heard the truth in that screech, I could tolerate no more. Oh, actually, you know, honestly, that's what it is. I just hate this creature. <laughs> he deserved it at that point. <laughs> oh, also, Flip's catchphrase is trust me. Mm. I, I was listening for more catchphrases because for a while it's like, wow, Flip uses trust me a lot. Um, Nemo uses help me a lot. Professor always says my boy. It's mm -hmm. really frustrating. But Princess doesn't. King Morpheus doesn't. So I was like, okay, only a select group of people have a catchphrase i guess um one thing that i did like is that they showed that nemo was weary of where he was going he's always asking flip where are we going and flip always replies with don't worry about it 
or something like that. Yeah. I was like, at least he's aware that I should be listening to my gut, which says we're headed straight for danger. Where are we going? Eh, be distracted or something. Okay. It does feel like the movie is a little bit confused about what Nemo's like character flaw should be because it's sort of that he's a little too willing to go with the flow and it's sort of that he doesn't listen to his elders and it's sort of that he's willing to lie, but like it's never like fully committed to any of those things. The closest is like the willingness to lie, I guess, but they never like harp on the lie itself. They harp on mm -hmm. giving an apology. The apology is the thing that like is important here, not mm -hmm. don't lie. Oh yeah. So there's not a prophecy, but there is a map, but there's not a map. Yeah, we get the map and then we unget the map very quickly after that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if this counts as a win in my prediction. There's a way for us to know how to get to where we need to go so the kid's not wandering around everywhere, except the kid's gonna wander around everywhere because the map is unreadable. But then old school logic has that you could just ask the locals. And I completely forgot that you could just ask the locals. The thing that frustrated me about the good goblins is they convince them that they're good guys, either because they're easily defeated by the squirrel or because they just said it a whole lot and they're willing to trust them no 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 no. i i can vouch for why they trust the good goblins is it just uh, because flip is so terrible they'll take anyone over him <laughs> when they correct flip with the lie that he's trying to keep secret you know hey we helped him with his map you what you know his map and flip's like whoa, whoa. yeah you immediately gain all credibility because flip's credibility is shocked yeah but i don't think that that's a high enough bar to clear for me to completely trust you they're friend-shaped. That's true, but they can change shape. They change shape to a friendly, bumpy tree. Uh, but they also change shape into a creepy nightmare thing. In their song, they change shape into a nightmare shape. But nobody is afraid in their song. That's true. And that's why he's, yeah, that's why they're outcasts. They're refugees. They're unwanted in the Nightmare Kingdom, banished by yeah. the king. Yeah, so my problem with this, though, is, so they trust them now, right? Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, they choose to trust them. And then they go to the scene where they're sort of setting up camp for the night, trying to go to bed. And the boy is trying to remember what the secret words are. And he like mansplains to the princess. No, it's this, you fucking idiot. You know how that one time you had a little bit of leverage over me? Well, now that leverage is stomped to the ground. Yeah. Don't you ever talk to me or my <laughs> son ever again. <laughs> <laughs> But so, so he's trying to remember, and then Professor Genius, the smartest man who's ever lived, says, there are spies everywhere, we don't want them knowing that you can't use the scepter, we want them to believe that you can use it. But dude, you're setting up camp with the spies. Four spies are right next to you, right Only now! Only we don't trust them, because in the movie, it shows that there were other eyes and ears listening. Yes. But I'm so, just saying, if we're wary of spies, I would think that Professor Genius would be like, eh, in fact, now that I'm thinking of it, we have four people right. we don't know following us, and we trust them because they told us to trust them. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that I would have more points in the genius part if Professor Genius is like, Nemo, can you give me a good reason why I should trust them? And be like, they're friend-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the prince and something something royal scepter is something we're trusting those people because we don't have a map anymore. Yeah, it feels like the trust is born of necessity more than it is of like any legitimate reason. And I was hoping that the end of the movie would have one of them be shapeshifted into the shape of the scepter. And then it's like, no, I didn't have the scepter at all. And I have to use my own skill and ability and talent and everything I've learned over the course of the movie to defeat this demon. And that would have been cool. He didn't need the scepter all along. It was a stupid MacGuffin that didn't mean anything. 
nope, it's actually his lightsaber. He needed it. When I saw the Royal Scepter, I was like, oh man, is that a weapon to wield? That's a lot better than the wooden sword that I thought was going to be swashbuckled around. That's a, mm, and it's hefty. It's like bigger than the kid. He struggles to wield it and hold it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what the cloud from Final Fantasy sword. It's just a huge thing. And that makes sense because the king is huge. But how old do you even think Nemo is? Old enough to have weird feelings about girls so he has to be at least like older than 10 years old no i think that this is one of those girls drool moments so i want to say eight no he willingly kisses her at the end but that's because he had an adventure right oh i don't i don't know i don't know if you're in the if you're in the girls drool like age then nah man your your cooties get your cooties away from me till death you grow up a lot when you almost die and save a kingdom from your careless ways i am choosing to read it as his king just has access to necromancy casually. So before we get into the princess kiss, there's one last thing on my notes uh, that I wanted to hit. And that is the nightmare king threatens the princess. And I was like, yep, I speculated something like this would happen. But I thought he was going to like get into the palace and then she'd be like, no, I'll stay out. That kind of thing. But instead it's like, here's my collection. Should I poke Professor Genius? I was like, nah, that, that's a dude. He can handle it. Should I poke <laughs> flip nah but what about this pretty girl no no don't do any harm to her not her not her not the same woman that punched flip not the woman that knows how to rescue her dress from the hands of the swamp people don't do nothing don't i'll do anything (laughs) do anything you want the princess is in this weird spot where she's kind of empowered but also effectively useless whenever it counts yes She has a lot of moments where she's like, I'm going to take charge and be a girl boss. And then a lot of moments where it's like, I'll contribute. And everyone's like, no, you're not allowed to contribute. Stop. Shut up. (laughs) Do you have a royal scepter? Be gone. Be gone. Yeah. So there's the princess kiss. And I thought it was going to be princess lips to hero cheek. But as you pointed out, nah, he, he was turning straight towards those lips. So. I do appreciate that she only went in halfway. She didn't force it on him. She gave him an opportunity to say, excuse me, ma'am, I'm a defender of my own virginity. Please excuse yourself out of this situation. (laughs) Get your face out my bubble. Yeah, you're right. She's like, okay, this is what I think I'm going to do. And he's like, you know what? I agree. Enthusiastic yes to your kiss proposition. Yep, and I I appreciated that. That made me happy. Because, you you know, in any other movie, it would just be him being like, ew, gross, no, cooties. And then she would be like, well, too bad, I'm going to sneak it in anyway. Yes. That is, there was definitely a whole span of time where it's like, if she's pretty, she gets to just kiss you and you have to live with that. Yeah, conventionally attractive women can sexually assault men and it's fine. Well, it's not quite gone, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, people, sorry. I I forgot to mention this when I was talking about the manta ray earlier, but he hella killed that manta ray. Like, (laughs) it was no joke. True. He chopped off an arm and then went in for the big part. Yeah, he like full on bisects it and then it flies into a wall and explodes. It got like three superhero deaths all for a character with no name and no lines. It was a good boss. Yeah, really yeah apparently. <laughs> I, I also thought the animation for All Goodness is Restored was really nice. Uh, we went from the, the darkest of times, the deep hell, to blue and green. Like, nature took over all of this evil castle. Don't worry about that. There are sunspots on the ground. You can have a nice, lazy Sunday nap in these sunspots. 
was like, I do agree of this whole color palette. I, I feel very relaxed. Good job. I think that brings me to like my ultimate feelings about the movie. If you're going to watch a like older animated film just for the visuals, this movie has a lot to offer. Mm -hmm. It's a gorgeous, beautifully animated film. It's in that special sweet spot. I talk about this sometimes. I need to do better to try to introduce this onto the podcast as like a thing that I actually show with multiple different movies. So the 1960s were sort of this magical time for animation, specifically from Japan, where they realized that this was a thing that could make money, but they weren't really sure what the formula was exactly. And then the 1970s was sort of establishing like Dragon Ball, Fist of the North Star, stuff like that. And this is what works. This is what people like, but still allowing directors to try things and having a lot better animation and a lot more ability to do different things. The 70s is kind of like this wonderful golden age for anime. And then the 1980s is where we've sort of established what's good and we're kind of just replicating that a lot and there's not as much like wild and crazy ideas happening. And then as soon as we get to the end of the 80s and into the 90s, that's when the animation is at that point where people are still willing to watch it to this day and, and think like, wow, this looks really good and is, is well made and everything. But unfortunately, we have ended the time of like trying new things and now we're just sort of like ad nauseum doing the same stuff kind of over and over and over again. So this movie kind of like barely squeaks into we're going to kind of do a lot of the same stuff you've already seen, but the animation is really, really good. And I think this movie sort of embodies that really perfectly, that time of we know what works, we know what stuff people are going to see and, and hear and, and think, wow, that's good. Throw that at the screen and not really think about it too much, but the animation is going to be magical. There was a lot of spectacle in it that I liked. It was cool seeing a bed walk. I thought they were going to be just flying the whole time. I have seen a reference to bed walking before, so now I know it probably has to do with this film. There is a lot of like weird stuff in this movie that gets really close to that like Don Bluth, like eerily creepy kind of, you watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, that's really off-putting. I don't know how children put up with this, but you watch it as a kid and you're like, wow, that's cool. You know, you're not thinking as critically about it. The first time we interact with a nightmare and it's like a, it's like a scary cloud monster thing that we can't really make out. And then the next time it's like this goop. And then the next time it's this Hitler demon. All of those are like interesting and cool and on the verge of being like so creepy that they're like really off-putting. They just don't pass over into that territory. I don't know if this movie was trying really, really hard to get that G rating. Maybe that was especially important to them, but mm -hmm. it seems like it just gets right up to it, but never pushes over, you know? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, and I think that we've had so much good interaction today, we are kind of coming up on that time. Right. Is there anything more you'd like to add? Anything we didn't really cover? In the wake of all the beauty in the movie, I feel really petty to say this, but Nemo's screaming face looks like an oldish man to me. And because I get to see it so often, I was like, mm, please don't. <laughs> I, I personally would have loved to hang out with Bon Bon way more. I thought like if she came as like a princess assistant, I would have loved to see that. But for the most part, I don't feel like what I got was radically different than what I was expecting. It certainly is its own story than what I had predicted, but it wasn't like I felt like there was a bait and switch or anything. I, I felt like I was walking into a fairy tale and I got a fairy tale. So if you're looking for that fairy tale experience, hit the little Nemo up. <laughs> you talked about the credits, the opening credits earlier. Mm -hmm. And you were like, oh, there are these character names that popped up. There, I also noticed a few things. Uh, first of all, Flip is played by Mickey Rooney, which if you pay attention to that and you know anything about Mickey Rooney, he's like this terrifying, creepy old dude who just happens to play in a lot of kids' movies. 
for whatever reason, usually involving Christmas. Uh, he did a horror movie that's about Christmas. I think it's called Deadly Night or something like that. Scary Night, Silent Night, a play on yeah. Silent Night, but spooky, spooky night, yeah. maybe. Mickey Rooney's in that movie, and he literally said of the movie, as they're trying to get like press for it and get people into it, he's in the movie. He's like one of the starring characters. And he says, don't go see that movie. It's a travesty. He basically says it's like a slap in the face for everything that Christmas represents. It's bizarre to me that he would ever say that. So I've always kind of had a bad taste in my mouth for Mickey Rooney. And then Flip did not help with that. Everything about Flip's character, I would have been like, can we rewrite some of these lines so I'm not so much of a fucking creep, please? I imagine Mickey Rooney was like, nah, he's a lovable scamp. Nothing about this is creepy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's my kind of guy. It's like you were thinking of me when you wrote Flip. So this part doesn't have to make it into the recording. When I saw Flip, I immediately thought of the Pinocchio bad influence. Oh, is it the fox that he interacts with? I, I want to say it kind of. It it's just like seemed like the whole Pleasure Island thing immediately and it gotcha. might be because of like carny and cigar and don't hang out with them they're bad and i was like please don't make nightmare island like pleasure island please don't do that and thankfully they didn't it's actually a horrifying place <laughs> Yeah. As much as you can do for a G-rated film, but well, they—I uh, felt like they were a little bit lazier with Nightmare Island than they were with Pleasure Island. At least Pleasure Island, when you think about it, it's like, oh, this is horrifying. But with Nightmare Island, there's no way to look at this and not think, oh wow, there's literally the devil and a guy saying, "Hail the devil!" It's all. But that guy gets recognition for his work. That's true. He did get a medal, and that's—it's—it's it's good to recognize when someone does a good thing. But then immediately after, he sucks him into his dark void place, and that's not—that's cool. because he lied. He was a traitor. He was <laughs> with the hero he was covering up that he let the hero in the inner sanctum <laughs> you'd make a hell of I a love, villain how do you know that you are in a place of power when the villain starts negotiating with you i don't know he should have been a lot more courageous going into that fight like i've got more cards here than i thought i did you know you said he couldn't see us he, he really can't oh <laughs> like, uh, uh, we all yearn to have that secret hideout place I do think that scene was better than I'm, like, giving it credit for. Like, when he's, I, th I thought you said he couldn't see us because the, the Nightmare King is saying, I can see you. And that's what you would say if you wanted to get somebody to sort of be yeah, scared and give up hope. And, you know, and that's what he's going for here. And he's like, oh, no, he really can't. And in the moment, I'm like, well, I can't tell now. I, I'm not really sure. And then we get this cool scene where he sort of draws him into, you know, yelling, no, stop. And he's like, ah, now I know. And I'm like, oh, dang, the goblins are telling the truth. They're, they are part of the good guys. Oh, dang. Only then, only then do you trust <laughs> those filthy goblins. <laughs> <laughs> With their horrifying transformation dance. <laughs> That's a shame. They put in a lot of good work up until that moment, too. They're the only, like, non-human people that we get to interact with, and I'm over here like, They're gross! They can't be trusted! Secret spies working for Satan. <laughs> am, I, am I Ronald Reagan? Did I become Ronald Reagan while watching this movie? <laughs> Just to go down the bullet list, uh, Ray Bradbury worked on this movie. I don't know if you know who Ray Bradbury is, but he's a uh, he's like a famous author. Uh, he does a lot of cool sci-fi stuff. But that's that's something I wanted to mention really fast. And then my last big thing: there's a lot of really, really good symbolism in this movie that's probably going to go underappreciated. And I just wanted to like point it out. Trains symbolize death. Almost any time you see a train in a movie, it's symbolizing death. And specifically, if we're going to get hyper specific with trains, trains should symbolize death as a result of technological advances. That's sort of how trains have been 
been used almost entirely throughout their history. That is sort of the like backdrop of trains that doesn't get discussed a lot is almost all the time that trains have been uh, used in sort of an evil way. It has been to facilitate killing people. Trains are a symbol of death and that is how this movie uses them and I thought that that was really interesting. It tries to sort of like retake them back from like they're a scary kill you thing but in the back of my head I can't help but think oh man that's what those are. I liked that the key had like a little dragon symbol in Chinese philosophy, specifically Taoism. The dragon is the guardian of the Tao or the way forward. So the way forward for this story was protected by a dragon key or a dragon symbol. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I am um, nodding. I did not, I didn't put those two together and I like it. Just as like, you know, if anybody, if I decide to leave this in, I can have like a cool smart movie moment and people will be like, oh, cool smart movie stuff. Cool, cool, cool. Did you know? And then, yeah. <laughs> why, why didn't he talk more? more about the punch you in the back of the head forest. <laughs> oh god, our fans like they don't they don't give a shit about me being like, well actually train symbolize death god. <laughs> nope, nobody cares about that. Nobody gives a fuck about that. Yeah, uh, so I had expected it's a fantasy, he's going to ride a horse, and instead we just got like train and train and oh man, they said it differently, but dirigible? Dirigible, yeah. yeah dirigible yeah. yeah dirigible um i thought it was super cool that he's like i know stuff about the things that i'm fanatical about like the the dirigible and trains and things and those are things that he's hyper fixated on and that's what kids do they like learn a weird amount of information about things that they're really interested in but the fucked up part was he had trained icarus to be a mechanic that's fucking weird this is dream icarus we're talking about i mean we have to assume that both him and icarus retain their like real world knowledge and and personality and things in the dream, right? Just goes to show you how much that piston part is a letdown. Yeah, I genuinely thought the joke was going to be that he had, like, picked up the other two items himself, and now he's asking Icarus to pick up the last item, and Icarus is a fucking flying squirrel. He's gonna, like, go and grab a thing and he's hand it to him. He's not gonna know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be kind right. of funny. No, that, that, that squirrel is classically trained in, <laughs> in fixing trains. <laughs> The king, who has built an entire railroad throughout the castle on top of stairs, disusing actual rooms for this hobby, doesn't know what's wrong with it. Yeah, and I thought it was really fucked up that as soon as they get off the train, the king is like, I haven't had that much fun in years, or in, in a while, whatever. <laughs> yeah. King, you were literally just riding this train before the kids showed up. It can't be that yeah. much more fun to have other people doing it with you. I mean, it would have been kind of cool if he was like moping about it before Professor Genius came in and be like, man, I mean, I polish these trains every day, but it's been a long time since I was ever able to ride them. But no, you're right. He's like coming through perfectly fine. All yeah. that weight. Smiling, having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how a 300 pound, let's, let's be conservative and say 300 pound. <laughs> pound 300 pound man is riding on a train and it's just chill it's not even big train it's like the size of his ankle train. yeah yeah it's tiny yes, yes yes oh man maybe it was just a poorly timed line to say i've had that much fun with my future air a you the symbol of my future and yeah. i made a father-son memory that you'll never get in real life yeah the final line that the king gives is my little nemo and i just creeps me out i don't know why there's a little too familiar king can you not he's he's not your son he's just a guy that you tricked into marrying your shitty daughter and that's fine and good but chill <laughs> 
lot of us fine and good. I don't know about that part. It's tolerable, I guess. <laughs> I was fully expecting that when he woke up and his family's like, don't you want to go to the zoo? I thought he was going to have that grown-up moment where he's like, zoo is for children. Circus is for children. I agree with my dad and should take an interest in banco things. <laughs> I thought he'd go the other way and they'd be like, you ready to go do stuff? And he's like, no, I'm going back to sleep. And then quick cut to like the end and then credits. Yeah. yeah. I have not had good sleep in the past. Who knows how many days? Mother, has it only been one? Mother, tell me it has only been one. No, you uh, you were playing out one night, you know, sleepwalking. He's not actually sleepwalking ever in the movie. He's pretending to sleepwalk. He's, he's lying again because you can't read in your sleep. That was another thing. Part of your brain that's needed to read doesn't work while you're asleep. So this kid either has superpowers or he's lying a lot. And the sleepwalking bit is him lying some more because he literally reads out loud the don't break your promise thing. Well, hey, we have we've definitely run over time. This is going to be a longer episode. It was lovely to have you on. I, I hope that we can uh, we can do this again sometime. You know, the, the floor is yours if you have any final remarks. But uh, this is this is the last last stop on the station. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you. I got you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on to future you. I'm so sorry you have so much content to go down. <laughs> I didn't want to leave anything untouched, and I don't think we did that. Good job, us. We're nowhere nice and thorough. Uh, see you and your folks in the future again. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Trust you. Well, I thought I'd use Flip's uh, catchphrase. I don't know. I, I couldn't remember the other one.